podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. The show originally aired on the Premier Networks on Sunday, October 27th, 2019. I'm going on vacation after this one. Rich Demuro will be in for the next two weeks, and I'll be right back here mid-November. But meanwhile, you got a whole show ahead of you. This is episode 1,639. Enjoy. The Tech Guy podcast is brought to you by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage. Thinking about moving your data storage to the cloud? Wasabi is enterprise-class cloud storage at one-fifth the price of Amazon S3 and up to six times faster with no hidden fees for egress or API requests. Calculate your savings and try Wasabi with free unlimited storage for a month at wasabi.com. Code TWIT. And by LastPass, a personal password manager and identity solution for businesses all in one. You only need one master password, and LastPass remembers the rest. Visit lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. And by Zapier. Zapier connects all your business software and handles the work for you, so you can focus on what matters most. Right now through November, go to zapier.com slash techguy for your free 14-day trial. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here. Yes, the tech guy. Time to talk about tech, computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography. We talk about smartphones. We talk about smart watches. This is the place. This is the place. If you're interested in tech, and don't forget, everything we talk about on the show is also posted on the web. Ah, oh, websites. They seem so old-fashioned now, don't they? <laughs> the World Wide Web at techguylabs.com. James is writing everything down, James Ruvo, and he'll put all the, the text notes up there, including links to everything I mentioned. And then um, afterwards, we will also add audio from the show and video, so you can, you know, if you... Watch a segment of the show or the whole thing at techguylabs.com. That is free, by the way. No no sign-up, nothing. Don't want your money. Don't want your email address. It's just there as a resource for you. Techguylabs.com. I was talking yesterday about my Pixel phone comes tomorrow. Because I, I foolishly, I ordered the special edition creamsicle version. It's kind of a light orange and now, you know, I kind of kicking myself, A, because it means it came four days later than everybody else's, but B, because do I really want an orange phone? Somebody in the chat room said, it doesn't matter, Leo, you're going to put a case on it. Well, well, maybe not. Do you, so, do you put cases on your phones? Nowadays, I, you know, I'm torn because first of all, these phones are incredibly slippery, right? And they're incredibly fragile, they're made of glass in most cases, not just the front, but often the back, which means a drop from any height in any direction at any angle, you're going to crack something. So there's a strong argument for putting in a case. But on the other hand, these are so beautiful, you don't want to. I was thinking I would not put the Pixel 4 in a case. I And the reason is I've had my, this is the, uh, I'm holding it up, you can't see it, but I'm holding it up, the Pixel 3, the predecessor right last year's pixel phone and i had it in the case for the longest darn time but it kind of it makes it thicker and uglier and kind of clunky and you know it's like i don't know it's like a guy wearing corduroys it's just it's not aesthetic <laughs> it's just not and i had taken the case off and i thought oh wow i forgot how pretty this phone is 
how gorgeous this phone is. So I don't know. I'm living pretty dangerously. I'm even going to take it on vacation with that, a case. Now, remember, it's not that dangerous because I'm getting the orange uh, phone soon. So, But will I put that in a case or do I want everybody to know I have an orange phone? Hmm. I tend to, what I tend to do for cases, uh, uh, my iPhone 11 Pro Max is in a case, but I get these clear, uh, just kind of rubber uh, sleeve cases that I put on it. And that's so you can still see the color and the finish and all that stuff. But then, you know, if I peel this rubber coating off, it's a much prettier phone without any case on it. I bought the uh, gold one of the iPhone, uh, so it's got this beautiful uh, gold stainless steel, and it's got a kind of a soft gold, almost a beige back. And it's just, it's pretty. Pretty in a way that even if you just put a clear case on it, you can't really tell. And the other thing I realized, for both the iPhone and the uh, Pixel, they're really thin and light. (laughs) You know, these companies spend so much energy making their phone uh, thin and light. And then what do we do? We <laughs> we put them in a big, thick, clunky corduroy case. Might as well be corduroy. And you never know. And you forget that that's actually this work of art. I feel bad. Johnny Ive must just hate that. I know Johnny doesn't, wear, doesn't have a case, but on the other hand, he has an unlimited supply of iPhones. Uh, yeah, hi, this is Johnny. I've dropped it again. Can you send me another dozen? run out it's not it's not a big deal for him do you put your phone in a case i think people spend a lot of energy uh picking the case the case says a lot about you my wife good example she will not take the phone out of the house without an otter box on it that's one of those cases you can drop from 50 feet in fact we did it we got up on the roof of the building when they uh, when we <laughs> a couple of years ago and dropped I think it was her phone off. The, I hope it was her phone, not mine, off the roof to see what would happen in the otter box. And it never, it was good. Those cases, the really good ones, even have a door that you put over the top so that you can't see. Because no matter what, if you've gotten a case, if the if the pla, if the glass face is exposed, which it needs to be, so you can use the phone, that's what will hit the rock when you drop it. Of course, right? Always, every time. I think she puts it in a case because of me. When we first met many moons ago, uh, she was rocking a BlackBerry Storm. Do you remember this phone? It was a. It was. Um, <laughs> it was BlackBerry's at the time. I loved BlackBerry when they first came out. This is before the iPhone. They had the keyboard. It was a really nice phone. In fact, I had many Blackberries until the iPhone in 2007 when the iPhone came out. That was it for me and Blackberries. But she kept using them. And BlackBerry kept struggling. The iPhone was killing them. Eventually did kill them. And so they made the Storm, which was supposed to be like a BlackBerry, but an iPhone. So it didn't have a keyboard, which immediately means it's not as good. I mean, why would you want a BlackBerry that didn't have a keyboard? But it had a clicky screen, which was terrible. So instead, the screen wasn't responsive to taps. It wasn't a touch screen. You pressed it until the screen went in a little bit and went click. Terrible. She loved it. Terrible. I kept saying, Lisa, got to buy an iPhone. Why are you using this BlackBerry Storm? This thing's horrible. I love my Storm. So I feel kind of bad. (laughs) I ran over it. Not on purpose. It was kind of her fault. She put it on top of the roof of the car and we drove off. (laughs) 
But it was an opportunity, and I got her an iPhone. She's never uh, st- stopped using an iPhone. But I think maybe post-traumatic stress, she does have a case on it, a, a pretty hefty case, an OtterBox. Now, my kids, same thing. They, I won't, I, you know, because I'm still buying them phones because, you know, I'm the tech guy. Uh, Abby uses Android phones. My son, Henry, uses uh, iPhones. And I insist, okay, I'll get your phone. Actually, usually it's my the hand-me-down. Like, they're going to get the Pixel 3 because I'm going to get the Pixel 4. So it's the hand-me-down. I said, I'll give you this phone, but you got to put a case on it. And they're very good. Abby was very religious. She always put the uh, big, strong OtterBox case on it. <laughs> Last year, she called me. She said, Dad, I broke the phone. Can I have a new one? I said, what are you? it's an OtterBox. You've had it for two years. You didn't break it. It was fine. She said, yeah. I took it out of the case to clean it, and I dropped it immediately. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> fortunately uh she's kind of got an unlimited supply of hand-me-down phones from her dear old dad who just has a bad habit of buying the latest greatest tomorrow i'll get the new uh, pixel phone i'll talk about that the pixel 4 actually i i'm not going to get it in time for my vacation unfortunately i'm leaving the country going to be gone for a couple of weeks i should mention rich demuro from ktla i'll be filling in next week and the week after i'll be back then i re- i'll be i was really looking forward to bringing the pixel 4 because we're going to the Holy Land, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to the pyramids, we're going to the Petra Jordan, and it would have been a great photographic safari, but so be it. My little creamsicle phone, my orange phone, will be waiting for me when we get back. Let's take a break, and we are going to get to the phones. Answer your questions with me, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Stay right here. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Time to get back to the phones, or get to the phones, before we head to Sam Abul Summit, or our car guy. Uh, let me see here. Line two. We're going to try Debbie again. Hey, Debbie, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. Oh, thank goodness. Hello, Debbie. <laughs> I have a strange question. Okay. You probably can't answer this. Or Anyway, I have never paid for my TV. I've just had channels 2 through 13, and it just... And that's what I want. And it goes against my grain to have to pay. I don't blame you. In <laughs> fact, when I was growing up, we didn't pay for the TV. We had little rabbit ears on top of the zenith. And it just pulled in the shows, right? Right. Well, the strange thing is, I was in the hospital for five months. And when I came home, I could not get my channels. I could get channels. Oh, I know what happened. Oh, what? <laughs> I can solve this one. So first, let me ask you just to make sure I'm right on this. How do you get the TV? Do you have an antenna? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you have the antenna goes into a box of some kind. Right. Well, the strange thing is I got a new TV because the other one was wearing out anyway. Yeah. And um, the adapt not the adapter but the antenna really didn't work at all yeah and the old antenna that i had for the, the small antenna it still worked get channel seven yeah but the other antenna gets nothing and uh, my friend's son worked on this for 45 minutes and he you know he, if it, you didn't know what was happening this would be a great mystery you are lucky that you called me because i know what's happening Oh, good. And it's thanks to the very famous Federal Communications Commission. But for the last couple of years, and this is going to end in July of next year, they've been moving your TV station's frequencies. (laughs) 
This only doesn't impact you if you're on cable because cable handles this. The cable company handles this. But if you're on an antenna as you are, the channels that you're talking about since you went in the hospital moved. They didn't leave it a forwarding address. They didn't tell you. They moved. The good news is whatever you use to tune those channels, probably your TV if you don't have a separate box, will be able to pick them up again. But you need to rescan. So when you lose a channel, everybody should know about this. This was not publicized well. But this is something that's been happening over the last couple of years. The reason I know about it is somebody called me and I went, what? And we did a little research. We figured it out. You can actually go to FCC.gov slash TV. Oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, well, I, well, actually, that's on a computer anyway. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't need to do this. I'm going to tell you what to do. But for anybody else listening, FCC.gov slash TV rescan, and it'll explain the whole thing. Oh. Ba- basically, many over-the-air TV stations are going to be changing frequencies. The FCC's making them do this because they, they, they sold the frequencies to 5G high-speed wireless companies like AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, and Verizon. They sold, they sold it out from under them. This doesn't change the channel number. So Channel 7 still Channel 7. Eventually, by the way, Channel 7 will move too. They're all going to be done in July of next year. So what happened while you were in the hospital is most of your channels moved without leaving a forwarding address. Only seven stayed. Here's what you do, though. If you go in your TV menu... You did this when you first got the TV, by the way. You may even remember it. When they f- you first do the setup of the TV... Well, like- actually, um, somebody did it for me. Okay. My friend's son. You could figure this out. You're going to go in the menu. If, you, if it needs... If, if Probably the easiest thing to do would be to redo the setup. So look for the setup command, the first time setup command, and just redo it. What, will, what it does, and what your friend's uh, kid did was he pressed a button, and the TV then goes through the entire spectrum uh, available to it on the antenna. And when it gets to a channel, it goes, Oh, I see you, Channel 7. Oh, I see you, Channel 2. And it adds that frequency to its memory. So it knows when you go to Channel 4, that's the frequency. It's like the buttons on your radio. Remember those old buttons on your radio? On the, in the car radio, when you'd press the button to go to, you know, W. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is basically what it is. You had to do that manual in the old days. You tune the radio till you got it right. So, the fact that I wasn't home uh, has nothing yeah, to do with it. Had nothing to do with this it. This would have happened anyway. It happened to everybody in your area. In fact, it's happening to everybody in the country. Wow. Well, you know, uh, I'm in Glendale, and it's Armenia city too. And like when I came back, I had six Armenian stations and Channel Seven. <laughs> And Those have, haven't moved yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they actually since then have moved some of the Armenians. Yeah, they've disappeared. They're slowly disappearing. You have station rot. Well, actually, in July of 2020, I will get these back. But up until then, I will not get nothing. No, no, no. It's the other way around. By July of 2020, you'll have lost everything. The way to get it back now, right now, today, as soon as you get off this call, is to go to your TV Use the TV remote, open up the menu, and you, you're either looking for setup or rescan. Because what you want to do is rescan the frequencies. This will not be the last time you do it. Some of those Armenian stations, should you choose to get them back, will move, and, and Channel 7 will move, and you'll have to do it again. 
Oh, okay. I, I don't I don't speak Armenian, so I don't. you don't care about the Armenian stations. All right, but yeah, you uh, so it's it's you know what FCC did not publicize this at all, and I guess the reason is there are very few people like you still getting over the air. Almost everybody's on cable now, right? And they don't have to worry about right, it. Right, right. So they could have done a better job telling us about this. It's ridiculous that you have to get home from the hospital. I'm sorry. By the way, are you feeling better? Oh, thank God I'm fine. That's a long stay. Wow. It was for a break, which took a long time to heal. Oh, thank goodness. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. And uh, you haven't got the bill yet or you'd be in a coma. No, I I dealt with that already. Oh man, five months in the hospital—that that must cost more than a a mansion in uh, Malibu. My God. <laughs> well, yeah. s- well, after the insurance, it was six thousand five hundred. That's what the insurance didn't cover. Still a lot, but uh, probably yeah. was ten times that, right? Or a hundred oh, yeah. times that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, and that's what they did with your channels while you were gone. They moved them. But you're saying that somebody will be able to rescan this. You can do it. I have faith in you, Debbie. <laughs> well, tell me again. I'll, I'll just... Go, turn on your TV. Look on your remote. On the TV remote, there's a menu button somewhere. Yeah. Press that. And then you're going to have to scroll around inside that menu till you find one of two things. Either setup or first time setup. That's the thing that your friend did when you first got that TV. And... If that would work fine, or rescan, there'll be a rescan setting somewhere in that menu because you want to rescan all the channels. So it's just either set up or rescan. Yeah, and you'll find it, and it'll just it'll take a half an hour. It'll go through the whole thing, and and every once in a while you see, oh, I just found channel two. Oh, I just found channel five, and then by the time it's done, you'll be back to where you were, where you just go to channel two five. It's like you're setting the buttons on that old car radio. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, Leo. My pleasure. I'm glad you called. Leo, why they didn't tell anybody about this? This is crazy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Oh, right. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for our car guy, Sam Abul Samad. He is a principal researcher at Navigant Research and hosts a fabulous car podcast called Wheelbearings at wheelbearings.media. Joins us each week. Today, he's doing his show from the back seat of a Lincoln. <laughs> No, that's not a Lincoln. Uh, actually, what it's a, is it's that? It's a Python. What's a, it's, it's a, a what? It's a, a Python. A Python. B-Y-T-O-N. B-Y-T-O-N. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of the many new uh, EV-only uh, car brands that have popped up in recent years. So you're in the back seat of a Python. I yeah. never heard of them. And I, you know me. I'm really uh, all in on electric vehicles. In fact, I, I, I've bought my last gas vehicle. I love electric vehicles. Yeah, well, the the first Byton, uh, the M Byte, which is a mid sized crossover. Okay, the name has got to go. They're obviously not English speakers. Uh, yeah, no, this this is the Chinese company, but it was actually founded by a couple of executives uh, from BMW and Nissan. Uh, and the the M Byte um, de- <laughs> debuted the concept. Name. Oh, is it like well, Byte, like Byte from a computer? B Y T E. Oh, yes, I get M-Byte. it. M dash Byte. And and the and the second their second car is going to be called the K Byte, uh, which is a sedan. They showed that at the uh, the Frankfurt Auto, Auto now, Show a few weeks back. Can I get this in the U.S. or no? Not yet. No, nobody can get one yet. Um, so the the concept, uh, the M Byte concept, debuted at the 2018 CES and uh, garnered a lot of attention. I mean, it was, it's a pretty decent looking vehicle. 
but it really garnered attention for its interior, uh, particularly the massive screen that it has. Yeah, I'm looking at your background. Uh, it not only has a massive screen in the front. Move your head. Does it go all the way across? Is that one thing? It is. Yep, it's one. It's what a forty-eight the? inch display that spans the entire dashboard. It's not super tall. It's, not, it's no, wide. It's and it's not a touch screen. So it's it's kind of oh, that's really it's weird. Kind of like the the screen uh, on Lisa's desk. It's yes, very my wife. To that. This is my wife for some reason wants a giant wide screen on her. She's got a thirty-eight inch monitor on her desk. All right, okay. Yeah. So um, I, I had a Does chance to. Does it use to, a uh, mouse just, if you can't touch uh, it? Uh, no, actually, it's sort of a sort of a touchpad interface. So I had a chance to go for a ride uh, in one of their prototypes a couple of weeks ago in San Jose. Uh, they have an R and D center in San Jose, and uh, I learned I learned more about how this thing works. And it's actually really interesting. You know, when we first saw this thing last year, they didn't talk a whole lot about how the use how the interface would work, and so it got a lot of criticism. You know, justifiably so. Because people were figuring, oh, this, this giant, this massive touch screen touch is it. insane. You want to touch yeah, it. Yeah, well, except you can't because it's too far away. Oh, um, so, well, that makes sense. So what, they've, so what they've done is, you know, they've taken advantage of, you know, because it's an EV, you don't have an engine up there. So they're able to move the bulkhead further away. And uh, so you have this screen that, that spans across the top of the dashboard at the base of the windshield. And it's it's further away from you. Which has a couple of advantages. Wait a minute. How far away is it? More than arm's length away from you? Yes. Yeah. It's more. It's more than arm's length. So you, so you couldn't reach it if you wanted to. You'd have to lean no. forward to touch it. Right. Oh, weird. So the 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 idea here is because it's you know farther away and it's you know right at the base of the windshield, it's closer to your normal line of sight when you're driving. Oh yeah. And okay. And because of that extra distance, you also don't have to refocus quite as much when you glance oh, down at the screen. Oh, clever. When you All have right. a screen that's close to you, you your eyes yeah, have yeah. to refocus more. You got to go from which far to near. Yeah. Right, and there's there's more cognitive effort required for that, more 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 time to to adjust back again when you look back at the road. So this, uh, by being further away, you don't have to refocus as much, and you don't have to look as far away from the road. So the, there's that. So the you know the next does it question mean it is, has a big shelf in front of the screen? It does. Yes, <laughs> that's so weird. There's a Honda. Yeah. There's an electric Honda that does this too. Has a weird shelf. Yeah, the um, the the Honda. Uh, Forget what they call it now. I'd be um, so Honda tempted e, I think to put called. stuff it's on a, that though, like books or coffee. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not really quite flat. It kind oh. of slopes down a little bit. So you're not, you know, anything you put on there is not really going to stay. Oh, okay. So, so the idea, you know, with this big screen, you know, talking to their their head of of UX design, user experience design, he talked about you know one of the big distractions that a lot of drivers have. Uh, you know, in current vehicles is having, you know, zooming in and out on the, the navigation all the time, you know, to see where they are on their route and things like that. And by having this big screen, you can have, you can show much more of the navigation map in the, the center of the, uh, the screen and, you know, basically show your entire route and see where you are. So you don't have to zoom in and out so much. So it takes away that part of it. So the question is, how do you interact with this thing? Well, if you see the the steering wheel uh, beside my head here, there's uh, there's actually a little display in the steering wheel area, and that's actually a touchscreen there. And there's a couple of knobs on the side for volume and, and tuning on either side of that screen. But you have this; uh, it's about a six six and a half inch display um, uh, touch display that's in the in the middle of the steering wheel, just above the airbag module. And the way it's designed is that part doesn't actually move. 
um, yeah, that's that's the photo from the original concept. The the production version, uh, the screen is actually a little bit smaller. Okay, uh, I'm just looking at some pictures to from fit the, the airbag. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's that's from last year, the concept version. <laughs> okay, and so so what you can do is you can you you know you can tap the icons on that screen to select different modes. So that's a touch screen at least. While you basically ah. yeah, while you, while you basically keep your hands on the steering wheel. I like it. So you you're not reaching away from the steering wheel. And you can turn the knobs to adjust the, the volume and things like that, you know, just with your thumbs. And, uh, you know, when you go into, uh, you know, the infotainment display or something like that, you know, you can just scroll on that screen with your thumb to scroll through a list. <clears throat> so there's a lot less distraction involved for the driver. That makes sense. And, yeah, and, and then uh, for the passenger, there's actually a second uh, touch display that extends out from the, the center console and tilts up just a little bit so the driver can hand off control to the passenger and they have uh, access to to other things that are on the right-hand side of the display. So the instruments will show up, gauges will show up on the left end of the display right in front of the driver. You get navigation and infotainment stuff in the middle. The passenger can uh, you know, make you know, put input um, uh, destinations and stuff for the navigation, or pick music, uh, or as, as uh, various services are rolled out, they can do things like order food, uh, you know, for pickup, you know, <laughs> right from that display. <laughs> so really, and, this is more of a living room than a car. Yeah, but <laughs> it, but it but it actually works because there's a good uh, separation of functionality, you know, things that the driver might need right in front of the driver and then other stuff is available to the passenger off on the other side and you know you, you because you have all this information here at a glance you're not constantly changing modes and things like that and uh and scooter x uh no i don't believe it will have cuphead uh, <laughs> to but, tesla has at least <laughs> better games um, yeah. so the idea is this is a lot of screen real estate i i guess you could see the cameras for the Backup camera, you could see driving information, navigation information. Obviously, you're not going to be yeah. watching a movie on this, but... Well, I mean, you actually, you can when the car is parked. Right. Did did they say anything about price? Yeah, so the, the base M-Byte uh, should be starting under $50,000, so okay. somewhere probably in the $45,000 range. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, not cheap, but, you know, it's now, not totally it, out of range. Is it made in China? It will be made in China. Okay. Yes. So tariffs might so well that, affect affect that could po that could could pose a problem uh, yeah. for the U.S. market. Yeah, we may not even be able to buy it in two years. Who knows? Uh, well, but still, did they say anything about range? Because that's another thing people want to know about. Yeah. So the the, the base version is uh, they're targeting 250 miles of range on uh, the Chinese test cycle, which Good is the, the WLTP cycle. So it should be. Somewhere just shy of 200 miles, probably about 180 miles or so in the U.S. for the base version. Then there will be a longer range version that should be in the, the 250 to 270 mile range for, for the U.S. market. I'm going to have to ask you next time which electric car you would buy if you were buying in the next year or so. But we'll save okay. that for another day. Byton, B-Y-T-O-N, Sam Abul, Sam, at principal researcher and navigant, wheelbearings.media. Thanks for joining us. The uh, Tech Guy Show brought to you today, the podcast by Wasabi. No, not that green stuff on your sushi. Not the, not the horseradish. Wasabi hot cloud storage. It's hot, all right, but it's cloud storage, and it's cloud storage done right. Founded by two of my good friends, Jeff Flowers and David Friend. They had the patent back at, in Carbonite's days. They had a patent for writing onto disks sequentially.
as opposed to in blocks. This was a, a brilliant patent, and it made it possible to create enterprise cloud storage that's 80% cheaper and up to six times faster than Amazon S3. And they pass that savings on to you. I'm talking about cloud storage that's affordable, has features that even the other guys don't offer. For instance, 11 nines of durability. That's as good as it gets. You can have immutable storage in the day and age of ransomware, knowing that no matter what happens, you've got hot cloud storage that can't be modified, can't be encrypted, can't, ransomware can't get to it. So if you, even if you get hit by ransomware, you've got all the files up there, up to date, and you can put them back. That's worth its weight in gold, I think. They also do data integrity checking on a regular basis, go through all your files to make sure not one bit is out of place. Their data centers, multiple data centers, redundant data centers, so your data is stored in multiple places, but it's stored securely. In fact, it's so secure, it's HIPAA compliant, FINRA compliant, CJIS compliant. That's important. And even if your business is not regulated, I mean, I think everybody's is these days, but even if it isn't, knowing that it matches those tough regulations, that's, that's reassuring. People are moving to the cloud like crazy. By, according to Gartner, by 2025, 80% of enterprises, by 2025, five years from now, will have shut down their traditional data center. It's only 10% today. 10% today, five years from now, 80%. That means zettabytes going to the cloud. So you got to do it right. Now, I know, you You know, if you're thinking about it right now, you're thinking about who to go with. I just want to add a name to your list. I just want you to think about Wasabi. Wasabi has disruptive technologies turning the industry on its ear. It also is affordable, more affordable than anybody else. It's fully secure. It's high speed. It's low cost. It just blows away the competition, including Google, Microsoft, Amazon. It's just the best. So add this to your list. You calculate the savings and show the boss. Say, boss, okay, I know, you know, Amazon, you know, Microsoft, you Google, but there's this fourth company I I think we ought to take a look at because it's 80% cheaper and six times faster. Oh, and yes, it supports the S3 API, so you already have software that uses it. You know how to use it. And unlike Amazon, they don't charge for egress or API requests. That's always free. Man, I don't know why you wouldn't go with Wasabi. Calculate the savings for yourself. Start a free unlimited trial right now for a month. Go to wasabi.com. Click the free trial link. Link Now, normally it's a smaller amount, but if you use the offer code TWIT, no limit. They like us. They're going to give you a no limit free trial. So bang on it. Put a lot of stuff up there. Get started. Wasabi.com. Join the movement and migrate your data to the cloud with confidence. Cloud storage that is, in most cases, more secure, more reliable, more robust than on-premises. Go to wasabi.com. Make sure you use the offer code TWIT. Unlimited free storage for a month. Wasabi. And now back to the Tech Guy show. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. We go back to the phones. Line three, John in Ithaca, New York. Hello, John. Hey, Leo. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for calling in and hanging on. I I love when you do this. Thank you. It's like getting an extra half an hour of the show, an extra hour of the show. <laughs> well, it is we getting extra, you're literally getting an extra hour, but you'll pay it back later. Right, yeah, that, <laughs> and I'll miss it out. But, you know, I'll listen because uh, I'm here. Well, this is the deal. You ask your question now, and then in a month, you'll get the answer. Right. 
So my question is about a Galaxy. It's about the Android system, I guess, or an app and how it works. But I have a Galaxy S8. And, uh, you know, I extended the life on my cell phone by, uh, instead of going out and getting the 10 and spending $1,000, I just cashed in on the cracked screen, got a, a new, brand new phone. You know, they gave me a, a new phone. Did you get a new battery, too? years out of it. Oh, okay. Well, so sure, you got, everything was new. Okay, good. Yeah, what they did is they gave me a whole new phone. Nice. I mean, it's refurbished. But whatever, you know. The the thing on yeah, most smartphones yeah. that's going to give out eventually, like in the, the two or three years, is the battery. But in many cases, yep. you can get these replaced. Samsung started sealing theirs with the S5, I'm sorry to say. I loved it. The old S4, and you just pop out a battery, put in a new one. I always bought extras. Yeah, I think I did that with my S2, actually. Yeah, it was great. I'm sad that they don't do that anymore. Yeah. But I use, I don't use the standard app. Uh, messaging app i use uh like a bump up from there it's called messages plus yes i and like it a better lot. features yep yeah now i don't know if the same thing would happen with the standard messaging app but when i go to do a search uh it takes forever and i'm not just being impatient i mean it literally takes like 30 45 seconds to find it seems like it scrolls through all the text to look for a name, and then it goes to my contacts. And so you mean you mean a, a search contacts, in Messaging Plus, or just a general search on the phone? No, it's a search in in Messaging, messaging Plus. Let's say, yeah, let's say somebody I texted a while ago, but it's been a while, and I don't feel like sitting there. And yeah, 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 yeah. Find yeah. them. So I just hit the little micro, uh, the little magnifying glass and type in the name and it just blows my mind how long <laughs> have you you've, the S8 you've been is a fast phone you've been saving every message for how many years well there's that and i do have the uh i do have the setting up to like 200 per person or yeah, you may have like literally that. gigabytes now that doesn't mean it shouldn't be searched fast it's completely possible to search a large database like that quickly but it it takes some skill and some indexing and so forth. And I, I'm not familiar enough with Messaging Plus to know if it's done that or not. So you're absolutely right. It could be a Messaging Plus problem. It's just not very fast. You're searching undoubtedly through gigabytes of data. And if it has to search manually, if it doesn't have an index, it doesn't have any way to speed up the search, uh, it could easily take that long. I mean, that's not even that long. It could take longer than that. You know what, though? It's it's kind of fast when it goes through the text data. It seems the one that, that takes the longest is because then it jumps to contact. Interesting. It, so it really slows you know, down when it gets to contacts. contacts. Huh. And I literally can just say, you know, I, and I do. I give up. I close it out. <laughs> I go to my contacts, scroll, you know. That's faster. Sure. For, for Leo or whatever. So that's one test. If you use Samsung's search, you know, its operating system level search or the Google search, and it finds it quickly, then we know it's not the phone, it's not the storage. You know, the, another culprit could easily be slow storage. As SS, the kinds of SSDs that these older phones used, the, the latest phones are starting to use high quality, as, uh, faster storage, but the kind of SSDs, flash drives that were used oh. in that phone, were, would, they would be prone to slowing down over time. It's something called trim. And um, they they just 
slowed down over time. So it could be slow storage. You're right. The S8 is fast. Fast processor shouldn't be the processor. Could be slow storage. Could be messaging plus. Could be messaging plus's index of its own text database is good, but it doesn't do a good job interfacing with context. You can see it's a complicated ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured, and and since they really hadn't changed it, even I think it was an early part of this year. In fact, when I got the new phone. It just happened to be at the time the new update came and yeah. the, complete, the Android changed completely, and oh, it was yeah. better. Get ready, because Android 10 is going to be coming out soon. And I think you might even oh, get it on your S8. Yeah. Um, yeah. Samsung said, done, done, I think, the right thing by saying, we're going we're gonna to upgrade a lot of our older phone. I know the 10 is getting it. I think the 9 is getting it, and I'm not sure if the 8 is getting it. Wow. So if it does upgrade to the t- uh, version 10, is that going to slow this old phone down? Good question. Probably not. I'll be honest. While, while these processors are getting better every year, they're so fast. They were so fast in the yeah. S8 era that it's yeah, unlikely it's it would be on you know a big difference. You're only two generations yep. old. You're not that old. No, exactly. No, this 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 thing's better than my laptop. You were the one that turned me on to the Lenovo laptops. Good. I wasn't paying good attention, and I went out and got the 320. And so that's it's it, you get what you pay for. Yep. And. Uh, Sad it's to slow. say. <laughs> My phone is faster. It's so yeah, fast. Yeah. So then it probably is, is yeah. it's likely that the storage is not the, the bottleneck. Who knows what Messaging Plus is doing, though? I mean, they, maybe they're contacting, maybe they're not looking in the local database, but contacting the internet. I don't know what they're doing to get your contacts. It's interesting. That's I'm where it really slows the next time they fix it. Yeah, and I yeah. understand you can't go to the stock app because you don't have all those messages in there. Although, yeah. in many cases, when you move from one messaging app to another, it will get the database and move it over. So what you might do is try some of the other third-party messaging apps or even Samsung's Android Messenger and just see if it says, oh, I see you have Messaging Plus. Can I can I move those d- messages over? Yep, that's exactly what it is. Oh, so it, and it'll take everything because sometimes, you know, there's, uh, job site photos that go with a text or... Uh, this is what the problem is. You have a ton of data. You should look and see how yeah. much data you have on your phone from your messaging. I guarantee you at this point it's many gigabytes. That's a uh, lot of data to search. So we are right so spoiled nowadays. <laughs> we don't. We forget that this is hard work. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. Um, All right. I, I think maybe it could be Messaging Plus, so I would try. There are so many. This is one advantage Android has is that you can have uh, other – you can have third-party programs be the default. Yep. Not Unlike iPhone where, you know, it's use ours or not. So there's Textra, which is very good. There's Pulse, which is very good. Um, really? Oh, there's – i never heard Pulse of Pulse is excellent. That's from uh, uh, Clinker who I think does some of the best software uh, out there for Android. I forgot his first name. I'm sorry. But uh, I think he's really a sharp co- coder. He does uh, good stuff. And Pulse, Pulse SMS, P-U-L-S-E. I'll tell yeah. you what. If if Pulse isn't fast, then it's something else. Because Pulse is perhaps the best coded text messaging app out there. It's really nice. And so when I switch over to this different it should pick uh, up everything app it, yeah. it'll pick up yeah 
Yeah. And you shouldn't lose anything either. In fact, uh, I'm pretty sure with Messages Plus, you could back it up. So I would back it up uh, just in case. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. right. That's what I can yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, would I go into the settings of Pulse before I agree to use it and make sure that the default, uh, you know, it holds, uh, like, say, 200 if that's what I really want? Oh, I would uh, guess it does. But, yeah, it might be worth checking. Um, the, the big three are Textra, Pulse, and Messages Plus. I think Pulse is the best of the three, I, I and it will certainly do everything any of the others would do. I'd take a look at that. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. This is the show where we talk about all the tech, anything with a chip in it, computers, the Internet. Well, the Internet doesn't have chips in it. It runs on chips. Does that count? Home theater. There's a chip in your stereo. There's a chip in your TV. Uh, digital watches, smartphones, all that stuff. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number if you want to talk tech with me. I'm going back to line four to Victor, Montana, where George is hanging his hat today. Hello, George. Hey, Leo. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Oh, it could be better, but I'm I'm living. <laughs> Are you living? Well, that's all that matters. Montana's beautiful, yeah. beautiful area. Do you yeah, fish? It's pretty good right now. Are you a fisher? Yep. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am. You have to be yeah. if you live in Montana. That's just part of the deal. Yep. Yeah. Up there in big sky country. What can I do for you? Okay, my wife, she updated her phone. Uh, it's an iPhone. Yeah. To the, I guess, 13.2 or four, whatever it is. 13.1.2. Yeah, and what happened? Last time I checked, her phone, her phone crashed. Uh oh! And uh, so we took it into an Apple store, and also Verizon was around the corner. Uh oh! And Verizon put a new SIM card in, got it to where she could back up all her information, and then we went off and went to uh, Apple. Actually, the Verizon guy went over there with him. Oh, good. Well, that was good service from Verizon. Wow. Yeah, and they they did a nuke thing. They said they on on the yeah. phone. They wiped out all the software it's, or something it's, like it's that. Called, it's called. It's uh, They probably did what's called a DFU. <laughs> but I think nuking it from the air is probably the. It's a device firmware upgrade, and it's a way to take the phone and and kind of bring it back to factory fresh. Yeah, that's what they said they were doing. And so then she came home and she got on. Uh, iCloud to reinstall all the good. contacts, all the information. Yes. Everything went pretty good until it got down a ways with the apps, and it stopped a lot of the apps oh, yeah. didn't uh, <clears throat> download. Uh, People, anybody who uh, gets a new phone will have a similar experience where you're restoring your phone from the cloud. Apple re-downloads the apps, but I've seen this happen myself. It just kind of sits there, and some yeah. some some will say updating some will say waiting. Nobody's going anywhere. My best advice is turn the phone off and on again. And usually that's enough to kind of kick them. So you know how you turn... Now, I don't mean turn the screen off, but I mean actually turn the phone off, which means you're going to press the on-off button on the right and the volume up button on the left. And you'll see it'll say slide to power off. You're going to right. slide it over. That'll turn it off. And then just press the on-off button again, and it'll turn it back on. You can see little white apple as it boots up. Usually, in my yeah. experience, that's enough to kind of kickstart it. Oh, okay, because it uh, 
you know, she hasn't tried that, I'm sure. And she was worried that because she's leaving the phone connected to Wi-Fi, thinking that's the problem, you know. that No, you want it to because that's the fastest. I don't know. Okay. This I've seen this happen. It's happened to me many times. I've seen it happen many times. And I don't know why, but it just seems like it, I, my, my guess is it's trying to download one app. And, of course, until it gets that app, it's not going to do anything else. And ever, so everything else is waiting, and for some, for one reason or that one app is just stuck. But turning it off and on again is usually all it takes. There is a way to prioritize apps. If you tap them once, it'll switch from updating to waiting, and tap it again, it'll go back to updating. And sometimes that's enough to say, no, you next. So you can reorder the order. But the first thing I do is turn all the way off and on the way and back on again. Okay, and other than that, she can sit there and because it, it says prioritize or something yeah, like. Yeah, it'll take a while, but it shouldn't. How long? How many? How long has she been waiting? Two days. Yeah, it shouldn't take two days. It should take a couple hours. Okay. Yeah, it also may be that your internet, uh, went, you know, briefly glitched and the the phone never got going again. There's a lot. I I am not sure why this happens, but boy, it does. So, fear okay, not. So she's not by herself with that. She is not alone. Sometimes that's enough just to know you're not alone, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is to me. <laughs> you are not. I'm married. I didn't like being alone. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of you are alone. You're in beautiful big sky country. Thank you, George. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a great day. Take care. Uh, well, it gives us time to take another one before our break. Let's see. Line one, Mika. Micah, my friend Micah, up in Maine. Hello, Micah. Hi, Leo. It's great to talk to you. And, you know, and now that you have a Micah on your staff, every time you say his name on the air, I turn around. <laughs> what? Who, me? Who, me? There's a lot of Micahs around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micah, Micah works on some podcasts. Give us a plug for your shows. Oh, well, it's the Airplane Geeks podcast. Uh, I work with that one in particular and occasionally the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. And I uh, understand that our uh, good buddy Ant Pruitt might have been on the Airline Pilot Guy show. Yes, he's uh, very involved with the airline pilot guy, and he and I communicate semi-regularly and uh, actually had a lot of conversations about LastPass recently. He's a nice. great guy. Yeah, we just hired him. So uh, isn't that kind of something? Now we're almost related, you and me. We are related. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what can I do for you? Well, I'm very upset with my iPhone 6S. I wanted it to last just one more year because I wanted, didn't want to get a new iPhone until they came out with 5G. But it looks like my logic board has gone because it's giving me battery issues that are yeah. not battery-related, and uh, they can't replace a logic board. So I'm looking at a new iPhone, and as looking at the new iPhone, I kind of think I've decided on the... 11 Pro because I've been thinking about getting a camera too and uh, I think the 11 Pro would offer me the option I am a huge fan I have the 11 Pro Max the big version of it huge fan and you know it's kind of cool uh, Apple has an update called Deep Fusion so the phone that I bought and I got it when it first came out last month uh, is going to get better the camera is going to get better by the time you get your phone you'll probably have Deep Fusion if not it'll be within a few weeks of getting the phone and it's uh, even better. It uses artificial intelligence. It takes seven images. It takes three dark ones, one bright one. Uh, it then uses artificial intelligence to look for things like sky and human skin and optimizes it differently depending on what it's looking at. It's, and it does it all in a fraction of a second. I've seen some of the images from Deep Fusion. And it, you're gonna, if, if what you're looking for is a camera, 
The iPhone is the best. It's just fantastic. So if that's the most important well, function. My two questions for you about it is I'm leaning toward, I have my iPhone 6S is 128 gigabytes. I got plenty of room on it. I'm leaning toward the 256 because the that's, files are going to be so much bigger on yeah, the Yeah, yeah, you're going to be taking a lot of pictures. Uh, 256 is the top, of course. Um, Do they have a 512? Oh, that's right. I got the 512. No, you're right. Yeah. 256 should be plenty. I always get the most, and I never fill it up. I think 256 will be plenty. And you know what? Don't feel bad about not getting 5G. First of all, uh, 5G is going to be in very limited supply. It's going to cost a lot more. It's going to kill battery. Uh, I don't think waiting for 5G, I think you may you may continue to use your iPhone 11 longer than you think. I don't, I don't think 5G is going to be all that. Um, but do get the iPhone 11 if you're in the market. It's I'm, I couldn't be happier. It is a beautiful phone. The screen is better. Everything's better. It's faster. And man, is that a good camera. Thanks, Micah. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls. Let's see here. I think I'm going to check out line one. Turns out it's George in Fontana, California. Hello, George. Hello. Hi. How are you? I am well. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, so the reason of my call, um, I was trying to back up my wife's iPhone, and uh, a message popped up on, on my laptop saying that uh, there was no that there was no more space. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! It's so, full. So I, well, you got to. By oh. the way, the, the the problem here is not how do I back up my wife's iPhone now. The problem is how do I make some space on my hard drive because you're going to need it. <laughs> Computers, right, so, computers so, don't like operating on a system with a lot without a lot of free space these days. I, it's you know it's amazing. I mean, even gigabytes of free space. So that's that's right, job so, one. So I, was, so I was trying. So my question for you is: Can I back it up to an external hard drive? No. You can only oh, back it up to iTunes. So are you Windows or Mac? Uh, Windows. Okay. So what I would do, if I were you, is figure out what's taking up so much space on that hard drive. I bet you there's stuff you don't need on there. There's a really good free program called Winderstat, W-I-N-D-I-R-S-T-A-T. It's free. I, I hope if you have enough room to download it, do that. It's not very big. <laughs> if you're that full, you might not even be able to download that. But but if you can, it'll give what it does, which I really love. It's specifically for this. It shows you in colored graphical blocks what's taken up all the space. And you'll see, like, there'll be a big red block. Oh, my, what is that? Oh, those are movies or whatever. And you'll see what's taken up all the space. Then you have to make the decision to... Can I get rid of it or can I move it off? The best thing to do, the best thing to do is to get it. Do get an external hard drive. Do you have one? Yeah, yeah, I got one. Is and and the easiest thing to do: move some stuff off the internal hard drive to that external drive. If it's pictures or movies, that's easy to do. You can tell iTunes where its data lives. And you could tell it it was an external drive. The problem with that is that's where all the music's going to go. That's where everything's going to go, not just the iPhone backups. And when you do that, you better not disconnect that drive ever or iTunes is going to get very confused. Oh, okay. You see what I'm all saying? Right. It would be better to take yeah. stuff that doesn't, that's not, nobody's dependent on. Like, move, like do, you put, do you put DVDs on your hard drive or... 
Yeah, it's, well, it's it's mainly just pictures and videos. Like yeah. Videos. Yeah, videos yeah, will yeah. fill up. Fill, videos will fill up a hard drive quick. Yeah. The other thing is, how big is your hard drive? Do you know? <laughs> I got a pretty old laptop. Oh, okay. It's bit. It's small then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It kind of it's kind of embarrassing to say, but yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's, it's all right. Laptop, so. It's all right. I'm like a doctor. Uh, you can tell me anything. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't no, need I to don't. know. It's it, it. It. You know, you could put a bigger drive in it. The problem is, laptops are hard to put drives in, and you don't want to mess with okay. it. Get an external drive. Copy the movies somewhere else, mm-hmm. and uh, take them off the internal drive, and then you'll be able to do the backup. Is she getting a new iPhone? Is that what's going on? Yeah, well, we're trying to uh, repair it to get a new iPhone. Oh, good. So she got, she, she has a cracked screen, and she has a, a booking, uh, like the camera's not focusing. Yeah, it's time to get a new so, iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Your timing is excellent, though. Whenever Apple releases new phones, doesn't just mean you can get a new phone, at all, you know, the newest version. You can also get a better deal on the older versions. Mm-hmm. So they're right. selling even the iPhone 8 now, and that price is pretty low, relatively low for an iPhone. So there are some excellent choices out there. And those are brand new phones if you get them from Apple. So I think that's you're doing exactly the right thing. Back up the phone if you can, because then when you get the new phone, you can restore from the backup, and that, and then all will be well. There's one other thing you could do. Uh, the, maybe the easiest, it's not free, is to buy enough iCloud storage to back up the phone to the iCloud. So that's what I'm doing right now. Good. So I got, so I got storage, so I'm doing it through Wi-Fi at home. And it, and I don't know if it's normal or not, but this is the first time I'm ever doing it because I've I've always done it through the um, through iTunes. Right. Um, but um, right now the phone says it's, it's going to take about a day to back it up. It takes a while because it's uploading to the cloud. Yeah. But the uh-huh. good news is this is how Apple wants you to do it from now on. Uh, and so the good news is. Uh, and this is how I do it from now on. You know, it used to be that you're doing exactly what everybody does. They connect. You get a USB cable. You connect to the computer. You open iTunes. You back it up. You sit. It sits there. But that's really Apple doesn't want you to have to do that. Because honestly, they don't even think anybody should have a computer anymore. You should only have phones and tablets. So really right. what they want you to do is pay for iCloud. Um, generally, depending on how big the phone is, if you pay $0.99 cents a month, you're going to get 50 gigabytes Two ninety nine a month, you're going to get two hundred gigabytes, easily enough for any phone to back up, and then it makes it really easy when you get the new phone. You just say restore, and that's it. As long as you're on a fast Wi-Fi connection, you just you know maybe go to bed in the next in the morning. It's all like the old phone was, including all the passwords and everything. So backing up yeah. to backing up to iCloud is the easiest thing to do. The only thing we got to be stuck at home for like a day, right? Because yeah, she can't. Well, she's not taking that phone around, is she? Is is, is it? She can use yeah. it still. Yeah, yeah, we we can still use it, but I mean, we're do it overnight. Do it overnight. <laughs> Start over again. You know what? It won't have lost everything you've done so far. By the way. It, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You could stop it. You don't even have to stop it. You can go out, walk around. It'll stop because it says, "Well, I don't see any internet." Or, you know, I can't right. do it right now. I'm not on the Wi-Fi. Then when you get home, it'll resume. It'll do, go overnight. It'll be done. Uh, that's that's easily the best way to do it. That's how Apple really wants everybody to do it from now on. Okay, great. That sounds good. All right. Have a good day. You're a, you're a nice husband helping your wife get her new phone. Good for you. Do you get a new phone? No, I don't get I don't get the new iPhone 11. She gets it. Oh, man. <laughs> 
That's a really good husband. You should you should get some special treatment because of that. Do you tell her I said yeah. so? She extra kisses. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I get foot on the table. <laughs> <laughs> you can put your feet on the table, George, anytime. That's right. Oh, food. Oh, yeah, food or feet. Doesn't matter. Thank you. Thank you, George. <laughs> Take care. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Apple, Apple kind of realizes this is old school to have to connect the phone via a cable to a computer running iTunes to back up the phone. There is certainly something to be said for that. Now the backup is yours. It's on your hard drive. You've got it. If you if you do it, do it encrypted. You know, you have to remember your password. Use a good password or put it in your password manager and remember it. But then it remembers passwords, settings, everything. And, you know, when I got the new iPhone 11 last week, I had kind of promised myself, oh, I'm going to do it from scratch. I'm gonna, not going to restore anything. I'm going to start from scratch. About two hours later... I'm sweating. My eyes are bleary. Oh, forget it. I erased the phone and I restored from backup. So this is too hard. Uh, and I think that's a fine way to do it. I had it in the cloud, so it was fast and easy. That's definitely the way to do it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Uh, we're going to take a break. Come back. More of your calls coming up. You stay right here. As always, the Tech Guy podcast brought to you by LastPass. I started using it, I think, probably day one. I've been using it for 10 years. I trust LastPass with everything in my life. I use LastPass Family. That makes it easy for me to share the passwords for home accounts and stuff with my wife. She's also my emergency access. This is a really nice feature of LastPass Family. You can say somebody, uh, in this case it's my wife, but also my daughter, if something should happen to me, will have access to my vault. That means, you know, my estate can be handled. This is, I know no one wants to think about it, but I, this is what I love about LastPass. They think about everything. They, they, it's a really refined product. It's getting better all the time. In fact, they just set up an expanded business lineup. We use LastPass Enterprise at work. And they've just added some amazing features that do th two things that are normally incompatible, both more secure and easier to use. Usually it's like a trade-off, right? Not with LastPass Enterprise. They've got single sign-on, okay? SAML apps, in fact, 1,200-plus SAML apps. That means your employees can easily just log in they approve it on the phone, the sign on the phone, and you're in. That's e as easy as can be for them, but it's actually much more secure for you. Plus, it helps you keep track of who's on, who's using it. They have getting started guides for every SAML app so that you don't have to spend a lot of time with training. They can just follow the step-by-step. -step. They also have uh, done something called LastPass MFA that leverages your biometrics, face, fingerprint, iris, but also contextual factors like location, IP address, to really lock down identity to say, you know, and you want this in business. You don't want somebody accessing your, your bank accounts or your databases. And that's what LastPass does. It protects you, but this also makes it easier for your employees. You'll, you know, you'll have some real assurance. This is really Jane in accounting. She's sitting at her desk. We know this. I think that's fantastic. So more secure for you, more convenient. That's the new LastPass identity. It's a combination of LastPass Enterprise, LastPass MFA, from single sign-on, and password management to adaptive authentication. These guys are always innovating, always thinking. LastPass gives you granular control to IT and frictionless access to users all in one simple, secure solution. I trust it so much. As we travel, going on vacation next week, my passports are in the LastPass vault. 
it's a safe place for them to be. But if I need it, if I lose my passport, I can just pop it open. Actually, I keep everything in there, social security numbers, driver's license, because I know it's safe inside LastPass. It's my most trusted encrypted storage. And I love the security challenge feature where they can, you you know, I do this periodically, make sure my passwords haven't been breached. They're not duplicated. They're strong enough. It gives me a grade. I can easily fix the ones that are broken. In fact, it's automated. Couldn't be easier. LastPass is the bomb, man. Get LastPass. Why aren't why aren't you going there right now? Go to lastpass.com slash twit. Find out how they can help you, whether it's LastPass Premium for individuals, LastPass families, that's what I use at home, or LastPass Enterprise, that's what we use here at work. LastPass is what you need to protect yourself online and off. Let LastPass manage every entry point to your business. So you can mitigate risk, improve employee productivity, happy, happy all around. LastPass.com slash twit. You got to try it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's time for our photo guy. Yes, that's what that music means. Chris Marquardt is here. Chris Marquardt is a professional photographer. That means he's better than I am. He also (laughs) does podcasts and photo workshops at Discover the Top Floor. His Tips from the Top Floor podcast is legendary. DiscoverTheTopFloor.com. Hello, Chris Marquardt. Hello, Leo Laporte. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. So, what are we talking about today? <laughs> I, I want to talk about the power of the collection. The collection. The power of the collection. So, do you remember a couple of episodes ago we talked about uh, building a light library, collecting p- pictures of interesting lights. That's when I... Oh, when yes. I ask yes, yes. people to, to walk around and in, just in their house and look for interesting light that comes in through a window, for maybe from an interesting direction or even the absence of light. I mean, stuff is really interesting the moment light is interesting. And you build up that album with all those interesting shots and then you have a reference to go back and learn from it. But I, I want to I generalize this a bit more into the general tip of collecting things with your camera. Collecting and things with your camera. And this is this can be a little ongoing project, and uh, and especially if it's about something that interests you uh, personally, and that could be anything, right? Uh, I don't know. You have maybe maybe you live in a city where you have interesting manhole covers, or <laughs> there's interesting clouds in the sky, or beautiful trees around you, or here in Petaluma we have classic car shows all year round. There you go, because this is there where American go. graffiti was shot. So I love taking pictures. Of beautiful classic cars. That's so much right. fun. Yeah. Or I don't know, portraits of dogs you come across when you're on a walk. I do Maybe that you're too. a fan of dogs, yeah. you know? Yeah, one, or, or, one year on vacation, I just took pictures of cats the whole time. Cats around the world. Go. Yeah. There you go. Or pictures of I sm- smiles or I don't know. There's a lot of things you could collect. And, uh, and of course, you want to try to make these interesting and uh, maybe a bit different. But, and, but you learn a few things from that. Um, first, you will, just by looking at them, by comparing them, you'll find that some of those photos will definitely look, be- definitely look better than others because, yeah. uh, and, and you can see this now because you have that comparison between the photos. Oh, because they're all the same you know? topic. I can't understand. Because, because they're the same subject, apples the same to topic, apples. a similar situation. Yeah. And, and by that, it is really it's really amazing how quickly you can develop a sense of what to do to make something specific look good because yeah. you now have that comparison. That's so right. yep. whenever I bring photos together that have these similarities and, and those can be years apart, 
But every time I do that, I learn something about photography, about photographing the specific thing, but then I can transfer that knowledge to other kind of photography. And this direct comparison just is, is a wonderful teacher. So I really suggest everyone find one or two or maybe three little things that you want to collect but on your smartphone it doesn't have to be an expensive camera it can be can be the phone that you have with you all the time um open up a new album in your photo app and then throw in the pictures of the smiles or the clouds or whatever you want to collect and do that over time and build up these little different collections and it's probably going to be a really good learning experience for everyone. I really like that idea. It's true. When I took pictures of classic cars, I got better at it because there's just some things you learn about where to stand, what to do with the, where so the light should be, what you know, what some great angles are, that kind of thing. Right, right. And I mean, we, we can we can take this a, a step further. Um, I would say most people have probably have thousands of photos already, right? You have this library. You have either you have a, a cloud library because it comes with your phone, or you have a you have Lightroom on your computer and 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 seriously collect stuff in there or whatever other software you use. And it is also a good a good exercise to categorize your library to go through your library and. Try to find commonalities between some photos. And that's, that's an interesting process because uh, you, if you want to learn a bit more about your own photography and come up with some interesting collections in the process, then um, for me, okay, I cannot speak for everyone, but for me, this is a really organic kind of process. It's a, it's a bit like tidying up my, mess, uh, my messy office, office here. You know, I, I want to make piles of things that are alike so I can find them, all the screws and all the lens caps and whatever. But to start that, I'll first have to have an overview. And that's the same with your photos. You want to have an overview and then just while looking at things, develop an idea of what might be interesting groups, what what you come across more than others. And then um, if you find enough similar things that weren't making a group, you could you could uh, put just a keyword on them, right? A little tag on them. Most photo apps allow you to do that. So you can put a little tag on things and then this way you can easily find them again. And yeah, this is this is really, a, a, I can't just repeat it again. It's a wonderful learning experience. It's really going to bring you forward uh, by, by grouping things. Grouping things in general uh, helps straighten out your thoughts about photography and and show you interesting new things is it so, cheating to use google photos uh no because it does it kind I mean, of automatically <laughs> it, it does it does some of that for you that's true i mean of course it takes a bit away from the let's say the learning opportunity if you're not doing it yourself so yeah because uh, for instance i'm here in my photos and if i wanted to say let me get a lot of pictures that show the color blue <laughs> i just type in blue and now i have about yeah. sixty thousand photos on google photos and it's just going to give me a bunch of photos where the color is blue true. is predominant right <laughs> It's very true, but of course, one one thing one thing you will still see is similar photos next to each other, so you will still see those true. differences. Yeah. The other thing that you will not will probably not learn this way is to find what are the the areas that it's are true. interesting for it's, you. It's kind because of cheating. If you don't take that inventory, it, there's a good chance that 
if you take that inventory, there's a really good chance that you will find out about your own photography that, oh, I'm really into this. I had this several times that I wasn't even aware that I was shooting specific things more than others. But then I looked through them and it's like, oh, yeah, actually, that's interesting. I should probably concentrate more on that. More on that. So, And also, um, Google a- Photos isn't perfect. Like, I typed in dog and there's three pictures of my cat. So, there I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not perfect, although it did get quite a few pictures of large dogs. So... And all over the world. So, I, you know, that's kind of fun. Google it's Photos is, is certainly a, a tool to use. And then I guess what you could do is you could drag them into an album. So you'd have a manual collection, and not the automated album collection. Or, or yeah. use tags or whatever, whatever your right. software of choice uh, right. gives you as a tool for that to group things together. Groups are powerful, really, then, really powerful. Once you start a group, you've got to then go out and take more pictures. From for oh, of course you yeah. you want to complete that right collect you want... yeah you're a collector now it's like stamps you know and speaking of uh, collections we're looking for photos uh, our photo assignment is uh, right now is gold golden 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 like the golden hour and here's how you do it we're just it's not a competition there's no prize but it's just really an excuse to get out there and take photos take pictures illustrating the word or concept golden. Yeah, certainly the golden hour. Does it have to be the golden hour? Well, it helps. I mean, the... So let's make it be, you know, that hour before uh, sunset when their world is magical. The the assignment is not golden hour, it's golden. Golden. Yeah, well... So if I found something really gold, I'm going to Dubai, the land of gold, the city of gold. I could probably get some golden stuff there. And but if, if I got it, it at sunset, <laughs> then, 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 you're, then you're golden. Then I'm golden. Tag it with the word TG for tech guy, TG Golden. That's how we know it's for the assignment. You can upload it to the Flickr group. Flickr's a free photo sharing site. It's just fantastic. And we have a tech guy group there with about, I don't know, 30,000 people. There's a ton of people in there. Renee Silverman is the uh, moderator. Once a week, you can submit a new photo there. And in a couple of weeks, Chris will uh, pick three of his favorites talk about him on the show you'll get some credit on the show golden chris marquardt is at discover the top floor he's pretty golden himself thank you chris thank you have a great day leo laporte the tech guy more calls coming up right after this leo laporte the tech guy more of your calls here let's see who's next who's who's our lucky victim on line two mary in lisbon north dakota hello mary Hello. Whoops. No, it's not Mary. Mary, you're next. It's, uh, sorry about that, Larry. <laughs> Dr. Bird in Temecula. Is that who it is? Hello there. Larry? What am I doing wrong? All right. Put him on hold. I wonder if this line is messed up. Because isn't this the same line? No, no, it's not, actually. It's Debbie. All right. We're going to try again. Let's do uh, Mary. Mary in Lisbon, North Dakota. Now it's your turn, Mary. I couldn't get Larry anyway. <laughs> okay, thank you, Leah. Sure, Mary. Thanks for your um, patience. Uh, no problem. I had an original question about Outlook, but all your talk on phones has me a... I have a question about my Galaxy S7. I'll do both. Okay. Um my Galaxy S7 is getting really slow, and I think probably it's related to the memory. You know, it's, the did, you hear, did you hear the call we were at earlier yeah, with the S8? It was slow. He couldn't find his messages. Yeah. It does get slow, yeah. and it could well be storage. Um, 
Solid state storage degrades over time. I yeah, I don't think I don't have a lot stored on my phone, but I think I use it a lot. And right. my husband who got his phone at the same time, his is still real fast. Oh really? But yours is slow. Now one thing you can try, and it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it would be worth trying, is resetting the phone and starting over. Usually that helps. Okay. So the way to do that is to go into your settings before you do this, and there's a backup item in there, and back make sure everything's backed up. What will be backed up is, and say you can either do it to Samsung if you have a Samsung account, or you could do it to Google with your Google account. But what will be backed up is your settings, your passwords, and a list of all the apps you have installed. Not the apps themselves, but just the list, plus any data those apps have accumulated. That doesn't take too long. It's not a huge amount of data. Then you can go back to the same, usually it's the same menu. It's backup and reset, and you can reset to factory default, which is basically as if you just got it. That will often help. It may be that what's slowing it down is that it's just you've been using it a long time. But it could also be that there's an app you have that your husband doesn't have. Is this possible? That that it's slowing. Well, that's what's slowing it down. That could be. But what's interesting is uh, his brother and his brother's wife were just here, and it's about the same situation. If they, she uses her phone a lot. For my his brother doesn't, and hers is doing the exact same thing. Oh, you know, you press tap on it, and nothing happens. You know, for yeah. a couple seconds. It could be so. There's a lot of things. It could even be, especially that uh, that unresponsiveness. We see that a lot in older Android devices. Uh, actually, truthfully, we see it in older iPhones as well. And I think it's a sign of, frankly, age. That thing is your phone is three years old now, right? And, right. And sometimes right. that you know you used it a lot, so maybe you wore it out. I know that seems weird to say wore it out, but um, that can happen. Um, I would say it's possible, though, that there's something that you're some program you and your sister are using that they're your respective husbands or not. It's also possible that it's just gotten churned up over time. You use it a lot. And if it's that's the case, if that latter case is uh, is what's happening, then then a reset might help. It's certainly worth a try. It's a pain because you got to back up reset and then you're going to want to restore and then you're going to want to download all your apps. My caution would be don't immediately download everything. Only download the apps you know you want and use. Be a little judicious about reinstalling old apps because maybe one of those apps is one that's slowing it down. You use Facebook okay. a lot? I don't use Facebook at all. Good. <laughs> Facebook's notoriously bad for that. Right. Yeah. Uh, the main thing I want to do is make sure I don't lose my text messages. Will the Google backup do that? Uh, it should. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it should. Make sure. I'm trying to remember how Google handles this. Uh, is there maybe a setting in messages that says keep these on the server? There is on the iPhone. The iPhone does not keep them on the server by default, but you can check a box that says it will. I can't remember if it will. I know will. it's actually backing them up because I can look online and see them. Oh, if you can look online and see them. Good, you're golden. There okay. are third-party okay. backup apps. Dr. Mom's reminded me about SMS Backup, for instance, which you can download in the uh, Google Play Store. I think that's what that's what I'm using. Oh, that's why you have a backup. Okay. Good. 
Okay. Well, the, the reason I called you in the first place is I was talking to another relative. <laughs> your relatives are the problem right here. You should yeah. stop talking to your relatives. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I'm getting feedback when I talk. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why that is. I'll try to I'll I'll be quiet and let you ask your question. Okay. No, I think it's on Verizon. Oh, hello Verizon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just talk. Okay. This cousin got a new laptop and from at the from the place she works and it came with Office 365. And now when she tries to create an email, the font of the two is so small she can't see it <laughs> well that's she no googled good <laughs> and i googled to try to change the font and we can't find a way to do it so that she can see it yeah so um this is on the outlook app on android or on no you said office 365 no, no, no. so it's on her this desktop 365 on the computer on the desktop okay right so there's a couple of things you can do uh you can change the font when and sometimes that helps a lot uh change, no you can't you go to, there is no way to change the font on the two when you're creating an email. Really? Tools, options, fonts? Nope. No way. I've Googled and Googled and so did she. And it's a, probably about a size 8 font. And when you put that on a laptop, yeah. it becomes virtually unreadable. I mean, you can do go to settings and increase everything to like 150 or 175. But then when she's done with that, everything else is off. <sighs> They couldn't possibly have taken this feature out. This is a they normal thing. People, out. they took it out. They hmm. took it out of um, Outlook, and I went to just regular mail, and it's not there in their regular mail program either. Hmm. Well, well, well. Uh, why would they take that out? I'm going to look here. I'm looking at a... a site that says it does work for office 365 so um you've looked in tools options huh yep yep Hmm. you you know you can do it everywhere you know except the two the from and the carbon copy (laughs) oh i see so it's changing it in the message pane but not in the uh to and from and cc pane not the addresses oh i get it yeah, I yeah, okay. Um looking at the chat room to see if they have any suggestions. That's a, that's Yeah, that's why I was hoping maybe yeah, somebody had an very idea. Weird. I don't have Office 365 Outlook in front of me, so I can't uh, play with it. It looks like you can change the fonts, which I think would help. Um the default uh font File, options, mail, stationary fonts. But you're saying that doesn't change anything in those two fields. Nope. Well, you can change the overall zoom on the screen. Maybe that's the thing to do and do that globally for settings. Eight-point font is impossible. I don't blame her for not being happy about this. It's impossible to read eight-point font. Um. I don't, you know what? You got me. I don't know the answer to this question. Can't keep listening or look at our webpage. We're just going to have to see if somebody can help you out here. Weird. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, 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 Leo Laporte, the tech guy, hour three of the tech guy radio program. 
We talk about computers, the internet, home theater, digital photography, smartphones, smartwatches. We help you buy. We help you use. We help you sell when it's time. Uh, That's my job here is to help you get the most out of your technology. Let's go to line three. Chuck in Thousand Oaks. Hello, Chuck. Hey, Leo. How are you doing? I am great. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's very good to talk to you again. Thank you. Thanks for calling again. Um, I have a late model, late 2015 iMac Retina 5K 27-inch, which I've used uh, since uh, it's new. I love it. It's, it's great. a great and machine. Those are those those 5K iMacs. I have one right in front of me. Beautiful monitors. Beautiful. And that's exactly what I'm getting to. So I had a second monitor for for a long time hooked up, which I love, but it's, uh, it was not, you know, a 4K monitor. So I went down to my local store and I bought an LG 4K or 5K monitor, whatever it is. It's the one, it's the one Apple sells? No. No, okay. Um, but it's, you know, it's a 27-inch. Yeah. Uh, nice monitor. 4K, yeah. Yeah, monitor. Yeah. I cannot get the resolution beyond... Uh, 1920 by 1080 and so of course i went online i looked at everything and i upgraded the cables i got the best cable possible i bypassed through the little thunderbolt dock that i was using i went direct into the back of the uh of the imac um and i'm running out of i know it's a 5k monitor you know it says it on the box i can see it when you push the little button thing underneath, but when you drag a window from the 5K IMAX screen over to the other monitor, the window gets 40, 50%. Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of things. You go into the display control panel. It used to be Apple would tell you what the resolution was. Now they just say, best for your monitor and scale. You want to make sure that it's identifying the monitor properly. I presume that it says LG, but make sure it's identifying the monitor it properly. It is identifying the monitor, but the thing, that, the, the thing that I'm guessing it might have something to do with, and I don't know, and it's one of the reasons I'm calling it, it says refresh rate is one of the drop-down menus, yeah. and you have a choice of 24 hertz, 25, or 30. It defaults to 30, but there's no 60 hertz. And okay. That, yeah, app, so Apple, this is very Apple, right? They take away the fine control because they figure it's too much information for civilians. So the settings on your display settings for that monitor are best choice <laughs> and then scale it. And they're, they're very few and far between. So first thing to do is try scaling at different scales. Because remember, what, one of the things that Apple does, and, and this is the right thing to do and does it better probably than anybody... You have what's called a high DPI display, high dots per inch, very high resolution display. And honestly, if they did it at the native resolution, icons and text would be so tiny that it'd be hard to use. So they typically will double it. And uh, in effect, having the resolution. And if an application like Photoshop uh, is is used on that monitor, then the app usually is smart enough, the operating system tries to help it, to use the super high resolution for images. If you're editing images in Photoshop, you'll get the full 4K resolution. But most of the other time, it'll be one half, just so that icons and text are readable. This is hard to figure out whether it's doing it, but there is a, a little tool that you might want to take a look at. 
I have clicked on scale. I mean, I, I can see that. Yeah, it's Apple doesn't give you. By 1080 now. Yeah. When I click on when I click on 3840 by 2160, which is there, and in parens it says after that low resolution, that display box and everything else becomes teeny, teeny, teeny. That's the native resolution. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about a little program I've used this. It will at least tell you if if the display can be driven at its native resolution. It sounds like it can, but you may not. What I'm saying is, it may, as you have noticed, be unusable at its native resolution. You want it to be a high DPI display that it's normally one half the resolution, so uh, you can see stuff. But when you want it, it like for editing photos, it automatically adjusts. There's a little program called Switch Res X. Switch Res X, which lets you actually change the resolution. Instead of the kind of dumbed-down control panel, the system preference pane that Apple gives you, Switch Res X will let you pick anything the display can support, including refresh rates, including resolution. So you can at least manually tell it, well, what does it look like when I do this? Don't scale it. I want, I want the native, the actual dots of that. And that will tell you something. You may not want to use it that way. I most of the time, what you want to do is half scale. So if it's uh, a 1440 display, you would do half that 720. If it's what is it 20? What is the native resolution of it? Do you know? It's defaulting to 1920 by 1080. And yeah, it's, that's half scale, right? That's HD looks, instead of 4K. But it's not. It's not 4K. That's a 2K. That's 2K. Yes, right? but that's what you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you want. That's ha- because it's not the same as the 5K display that I'm. Well, 5K is different, and it has a special chip driving it, and so forth. But even then, it's being scaled. Get just trust me. Get Switch Res X. It's free at madrau dot com. Yeah, um, I've, got, I've got it up on my monitor. I'm looking at it okay. right now. <laughs> Do it and play with it, and you'll see why Apple's made these choices. This is very Apple. Apple says, "No, no, no, no. You don't need to know what the resolution is." Trust us, oh. we'll do it right. So they're telling you they they're telling you it should be nineteen twenty by ten eighty, even though the monitor's resolution is twice that thirty eight forty by what is that twenty one sixty. Um, that's the native resolution. If you open a picture in Lightroom or Photoshop, if you play a movie, it'll go to that resolution. But normally, it, it, in order for you to see icons and text, it's it halves it. And having is pretty good. It's it's because it's. This, it scales better. You don't want to do a third or you know a weird number because then you get weird pixelation. Your 5K is a different beast entirely. That's why you bought the 5K. It has a special chip just so it can do 5K. So try Switch Res X, install it, play with the resolutions. You can use a different one. I did this, by the way, when I got my 5K. I did exactly what you're talking about. That's how I know about this. I said, but I want to see 5K. Not half of that, but you won't use it for very long because everything's teensy. Yeah, it, it is. It is an actual issue uh, with these high display, high high uh, pixel unit, uh, pixels displays. These high DPI displays. It's it's a it's something you, you and not all operating systems do it very well. Apple tries to hide the details and just just do it okay. So. Um, but you, but with with switch res, you can pick whatever you want. See how you like it. Sounds great. Yeah, my suggest. Yeah, go ahead. Another cookie. Sure. 
I have a um, online web series that I do. Nice. My, my biggest issue is getting eyeballs, SEO. Well, tell me what it is. We'll get you some eyeballs. It's great. It's called West Doc Online, W-E-S-T-D-O-C Online.com. What do you talk about? All about documentary filmmaking. Oh, are you a documentarian? Yes, I am. I can't wait to watch it. And it's interviews with Oscar-nominated, winning oh. uh, directors of new, terrific, and some classic films. Producers, directors, distributors, all about documentary filmmaking. Nice. Let me ask you one thing. Is that your Oscar? No, I wish it was. <laughs> Frank Stifle. <laughs> Who retired and wasn't working, and he said, I think I'll make a short film, and the next thing you know, he's... He got an Oscar. Of course. Isn't it always that way? West, W-E-S-T, DocOnline.com. Well, it's a pleasure meeting you, Chuck. No wonder you got that 5K. That's a, that's a great monitor. Actually, wait a minute. You're Chuck Braverman. That's right. I know who you are. We've met many times. Yes, we have. <laughs> now that I see your picture, I know this guy. <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure talking to you again, Chuck. This is this is what you're doing now. Is these uh, do, is this a uh, uh, video blog? Well, it's taking up a lot of time, and nice. it's, uh, it's an expensive uh, hobby. While I try and develop other projects that I am working on, I love, as you know, I love documentaries and documentarians, and I I will be watching this. Every single episode. This looks fantastic. Have any ideas on gathering more eyeballs? <sighs> Believe me, I've been looking around and trying to find a media, a social uh, media marketing person or somebody, and, and you know, doing clips on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else. But it's the biggest issue is trying to to get you know a good number of eyeballs and and yet have integrity in what you're doing. Yes, on on the air. So just keep at it. Uh, you're doing great content. Um, I think I'm glad we could give you a plug here. Um, I would also, uh, you know, create a Facebook group. And, you know, Twitter, I think, is of dubious value. There are not that many people using it. But uh, Facebook ads, maybe. They're not expensive. Um, and then go to filmmaking groups, you know. And uh, you, what you want to do is go to people who are interested in documentaries. And um, maybe speak at those groups, or get flyers, or just in, or go online, and it's a it's a slog. This is the difference between doing it on your own and having a major motion picture studio do it for you. Of course, right? It's hard, yes, sir. It's hard, but it's worth it. And as you know, Chuck, I mean that's kind of what I did with Twit. Uh, I was lucky because I started when it was all new and fresh and young. I didn't have any competition. I'd hate to be starting now. Um, you have a conference, right? That's we don't do the live conference anymore. Oh. This is the spinoff from what was the conference. Well, I think that's actually smart. I mean, more people can see this. This is right. infinite and distribution. Free, and we do an occasional. You know, we have some sponsors sometimes for some of the episodes, and that's you know the, the reason. Of course, aside from wanting everybody to see it, is to be able to verify a certain number you of eyeballs. Let me um, let's get you on triangulation because I'd love to talk to you 
about this, but also, I mean, you've been in the movie industry for a long time. How how the business has changed with the advent of Netflix and Amazon, and I bet you have a few. It's things. a huge Titanic change. I bet you have a few things to say about it, right? Everybody realizes yet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's enormous change. Let me. I'm going to um, send your email to my producer Karsten and we'll I'm going on vacation but when I get back let's do a triangulation we can spend an hour talking and maybe that'll that. maybe that'll help because I'd love to get your perspective on on how this has all changed I actually am teaching at Cal State University Northridge and we talk about just exactly this too oh man this would be great Chuck it's nice to reconnect I haven't talked to you in ages no, but I see you every weekend. Oh, see? So I know how did I know? How did I, how, how did I miss you? Connected <laughs> to your show. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It's so great to talk to you. Likewise. <laughs> it's Thank so, you so funny. Much. I go to the, I see, uh, wait a minute, that's Chuck. That's <laughs> that Chuck. Those pictures, I love seeing your pics, too. Oh, thank you, Chuck. It's great to talk to you. I'll, we're going to send you an email. Take care. All thank right, you. take care. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back with a lot more. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. We're going to have more of the uh, Tech Guy podcast in just a second. But first, a word from Zapier. Zapier. Love the Zapier. When Lisa said Zapier wants to buy ads, I said they don't need to. I talk about them all the time. I'm a huge. I'm a Zap head. I am a Zap head. I'm, I think of new ways to use Zapier all the time. With Zapier, you can automate anything you do that's mindless and repetitive. Don't do it anymore. Let Zapier do it. I created Zaps to do all sorts of things. As soon as we started the new forums, for instance, I immediately created a Zap that watches the Twit feeds, and whenever there's a new show, automatically creates a posting on the forum, says, give us your comments, what do you think? I did that once, took me five minutes, I never have to think about it again, and it just runs in the background. I have so many Zaps. It's such a great tool. And Zapier is the only one that supports multi-step Zaps. So you can say, here's the trigger event. I want you to do this, 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 and this. You know, I could easily have a tweet, post to Facebook, put up a picture on Instagram. I can do all of that. Uh, it works also with all your enterprise apps. If you use CRM or ERP, Zapier works with actually a total of 1,500 plus apps. So you can automate your work too. If you're in sales, imagine you get off the phone, your leads are engaged instantly with an email, happens automatically, automatically import new customers, Notify your teams about opportunities. You spend more time doing what matters, less time doing the busy work. That's Zapier. And you do not need a developer. You do not need an engineer. You don't have to write any code. It's so easy to do. And it's it's actually fun, which is one of the reasons I have so many Zaps. I'm always creating new ones. More than 4.5 million people now use Zapier. And on average, they save 40 hours a month. An entire work week every month of stuff you didn't have to do because Zapier's doing it. Make more time to grow your business, to enjoy life, to watch more TV, whatever it is you're looking to do. Now through November, you could try Zapier free if you go to zapier.com slash tech guy. Just do yourself a favor. At least try it out and make a couple of zaps. You'll see how easy it is. It's not intimidating. And the, I think, like me, once you get it, you'll go, oh, I want to. I need to make more of these. Z- I mean, I may- <laughs> it's fun. Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R, zapier.com, one P. Slash Tech Guy for your free 14-day trial. And thank you, Zapier, for a great product, for supporting the Tech Guy podcast. Thank you for supporting it by using that URL and trying it out for yourself. Zapier.com slash Tech Guy. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. I'm having fun today. I hope you are, too. Let's say hi to Marlene in 
Wait a minute. Argentina? <laughs> hey, Neil. Oh, it's Martine, not Marlene. Hi, Martine. Yes, it's Martin. How are you doing? I'm well. Are you in, uh, where are you in Argentina? Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. I love Buenos Aires. I'm going to come there right now and have some proboleto with you. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been here. I've been a long time listener since the, the times that you've been on the cottage. And maybe get a nice uh, steak. The house. I love Buenos Aires. Well, it's nice to talk to you, Martin. Nice. Okay. What can I do for um, you? Okay, I have this problem. I have a lot of pictures in my Google Photos. Mm. And you know, Google, they like to close things and do weird things. And I want to make a backup of that. Completely reasonable. Uh, I, I have to say, if Google closed Google Photos, they might as well close the door on Google. There would be so many irate users. That's of all the things Google does... Well, maybe search would be the last thing, but Google Photos will be the second to last to shut down. However, you're absolutely right. You shouldn't trust anything to be your sole one and only backup. The beauty yeah. of Google, uh, the beauty of Google I, is they have something called Takeout. Are you are you familiar with Google Takeout? No. So this is this is going to solve your entire problem. There are third-party services you can use if you want that will back up your Google Cloud. But Google makes this available. If you go to takeout.google.com, takeout.google.com, this goes back quite a few years. Google, by the way, happy 21st birthday, Google. Google can now drink. Uh, maybe they should because it seems like they've, they've been drinking. Uh, they're 21 years old now, but maybe five years into their life, a guy named Brad Fitzpatrick said, you know, if we're going to store all this data for people in Gmail, Google Photos, Google Drive, we're going to store all this data. There ought to be a way, an easy way for them to get their data back out. It shouldn't be a trap. It shouldn't be a Hotel California. You should be able to check out. And he created the, the uh, aptly named Google Data Liberation Front. And the result of it is Google Takeout. Everything Google stores can be downloaded directly from Takeout to your computer, including your Google Photos. So if you go to takeout.google.com and go down to Google Photos, you'll see right there. Yep, your photos and videos from Google Photos and other Google services. That includes the sadly late lamented Google Plus, Blogger, yeah. Hangouts, and it will all. They can all be downloaded. In their format, as stored, you can include all photo albums if you check that box, and uh, and then you got it all. Now it's going to be a big download. <laughs> yeah, I got a big hard drive for that, and I got an old computer with Linux to do it. Oh, beautiful! Use much beautiful. So that's a. But as you go through it, you'll see there's other places too. You might want to look at as long as you're doing Google Takeout. Uh, some of the other stuff that you've got stored on Google. If you're a student, they can download all the classroom stuff. You can download your calendar, your bookmarks. Uh, if you've got a blog with them, you can get your blogger stuff. It's really pretty cool what Google's done. I, uh, this is the right way to do it. They've got your data. They have to give you a way to get your data back. Okay. Well, thank you. And get Padre back, please. Oh, I would. But, you know, he's, he res Father Robert answers to a higher authority. Perhaps you've heard of him. 
yeah. Il Papa in uh, in Vatican City. Robert, uh, who is a the, we call him the digital Jesuit. I also uh, I also call him the uh, the Quad Father because he taught me everything I know about drones. He uh, is uh, a priest, but he's also a geek. We had him for a few years, but uh, the Holy Father, the Pope, said, "You're coming to Vatican City because we need some help with our with our tech." And so he is he is now living in the Vatican. Apparently, if you follow him on Twitter, do you follow him on Twitter, Martin? No, happens that I don't have many social media outlets. In fact, I don't have any Facebook. I used to have Google Plus just to follow um, your other show, Trey Radcliffe, and the yeah, yeah. So you're smart, but if you but you can always you don't have to have a Twitter account to go to twitter.com/slash Padre P A D R E S J. That's Father Robert, and he has recently posted a few videos with him and the Pope hanging out. So. He he has some stories, but he's told us he wants to come back. But uh, you know, he uh, he answers to a higher authority. I can't overrule that. I have to admit. Yeah, I agree. He's great. Do you listen to our podcast, Martin? Is that how you uh, know about us? Yeah. Well, I used to listen. I learned about you when I used to live in Austin. Oh, nice. And uh, long time ago. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I've been hooked since then. So the I tech scene in Buenos Aires. Is pretty pretty vital, isn't it? There's great stuff going on in Buenos Aires. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now here. <laughs> yeah. It's not Silicon Valley, I admit it, but there's there's hey, you know, I talked to I know I have a friend who's a uh, venture capitalist there, and there 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 is money being raised and startups going. I think that's great. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah, and the food is excellent. Yeah, that that's going on. Yeah, technology is it's growing here, but uh, it's not like there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. If you ever get up here, come come say hi. Of course I will. Thanks, Martin. It's one of my things on my bucket list. Oh, please, make me your bucket list. Thanks, Martin. Adios. <laughs> All right. Muchas Thank gracias. You. Bye-bye. We, uh, perhaps you're, I should, this is my chance to give a little plug <laughs> to uh, the podcasts and the podcast network. Of course, I do this show, and I love doing this show every weekend. Um, but, and it, foolish me, I should have probably just, you know, had five days off a week, right? So work on weekends, Leo. That's not hard. Just Monday through Friday. Just enjoy life. But no, I thought, I can't. I can't just hang out five days a week. So back when I started this show in 2004, uh, actually it was a year later, 2005. started the show January 2004. And in April of 2005, I started doing this new thing called podcasts. We actually had a podcast of this show in September 2004. But I started, uh, it was called uh, This Week in Tech, Twit. And I started doing a podcast. I'd get my friends together. We'd talk about the week's tech news. And it kind of took off. Then we started another podcast called uh, Inside the Net. It was all about the social media and the network with Amber MacArthur. Then we started another podcast called Security Now with Steve Gibson. Then another one, another well, fast forward about 15 years. We've got about uh, 15 podcasts, including the Tech Guy Show. And I'm sure that's how Martine listens because you can download it all over the world. It's kind of cool. You know, when I do a radio show, it's, of course, you can hear it in the area. And and we probably have more people listening to the radio show than anything else. But I like it that people all over the world, if they're interested in tech, they can download these shows. You'll find them uh, on our website at twit.tv, T-W-I-T dot TV. And uh, this this shows there, plus a lot of others. If you're a, if you're a hardcore geek, 
There's actually, we just started a new one related to the radio show called Ask the Tech Guy. Just do one question, one answer. That's a quick and easy listen. You'll find it all at TWIT.TV. See? Nice plug. Leo, <laughs> Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. And on we go with the show. Now we got Larry in Temecula. Hi, Larry. Hi, Leo. How are you doing? I You've always well. helped me so much. I'm calling again to get two quick uh, uh, ideas to 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 kind of work on deal the first one uh the first one is for a friend of mine that's a professional photographer but he's not a tech guy and he has a macbook pro you know the last great one a 13 inch 2015 uh, you know, re- it was the, yeah. the end of the line for really great nice. mac pros yeah. yeah so so he's got i think a 256 ssd in there and that's not enough and he doesn't you know I'm thinking he manipulates the images on the MacBook Pro, but he wants to store them. He's got, of course, RAW and JPEG. Yeah, big and files. I'm, and I'm thinking maybe it's a an external drive that's maybe a RAID or something. What's what's your? He could do that. that. It is. Yeah. I have actually done this surgery. It's not hard to bit put a much bigger drive in that MacBook Pro. Yeah, so he I've done that too. He could do that. It's ten screws on the back. Once you pry off the bottom, it's actually you could see right where the drive is. Uh, if you go to MacSales.com, that's Otherworld Computing's website. MacSales.com, they sell a variety of fast SSDs that work in the 2015. You can actually pick the model you've gotten. They've even got a video so you can look at it and see if if it's right. something you're up to. You say you've done it, so you know it's not hard. However, yeah. you yeah. totally can use an external drive. The disadvantage on these older Macs is that they don't have the high-speed Thunderbolt 3 port yet. Right. Newer MacBook Pros do, and the nice thing about that is it's 40 gigabits, gigabytes per second. It's so fast, he would say it's maybe even faster than his internal drive. But on right. that 2015, you're talking USB. USB 3, mm-hmm. which is 400 megabits, megabytes per second. It's decent it's just not as fast as an internal drive would be so i don't know about your friend i don't does he use lightroom no i don't think so i think he's using uh photoshop photoshop i bet you well he may be using lightroom as well uh, because they go together it's one subscription um my experience with large raw files is uh the adobe stuff is pretty slow and that's dependent both on processor speed. Honestly, he's got enough processor speed. RAM, he may or may not have enough RAM, and hard drive speed. And if right. he's got the original, is it an SSD or is it a spinning drive? It's SSD, like I'm probably a 256. Okay, that's not bad. Then he's got a decent speed drive. Um, you know, he's just filled it up. Was he happy with the performance before he filled it up? Yeah, but, you know, he's also kind of worried about backups. I'm wondering what... Oh, well, that case, then, yes, an external would be a great idea. Right. What I'm thinking is something in the cloud, something local. That's right. Sort of maybe a RAID or something. That's right. Uh, But but maybe he doesn't need RAID. You know, he he has a lot of pictures. Uh, I don't think he's like an active photographer, per se, where he's out there every day, you know, shooting weddings and things like that. doesn't take an active photographer to... I have 100,000 pictures, and I'm not that (laughs) active either. It doesn't take that long. Digital, it's easy to fill up a drive. So the first thing I'm going to tell you, you should... And maybe this is for you if he's not that techie, but it is a great resource. My friend Peter Krogh, who is a brilliant photographer, has... Mm -hmm. 
a wonderful book called The Dam Book. D-A-M stands for Digital Asset Management. It is exactly this for photographers. He also uh, has a free website you can go to. He did with the Association of Professional Photographers. It's, uh, it's dpbestflow.org. And it's all about workflow for photographers. DP, digital photography, dpbestflow.org. In there, he talks about 321 backup, which he coined the term mm-hmm. for. I've repeated many, many, many times, and I always want to give him credit for this. The idea that you're not really backed up unless, and this is true for photographers particularly. Imagine yourself a wedding photographer. They're mm-hmm. not going to restage that wedding. If you, if you lose those pictures, you might as well move out of the country because you're going to have a bridezilla at your throat. So, obviously, backup is critical. Peter does does weddings, so he knows. So you have three copies of everything. Three. You delete one, you now have two. You have to have three at all times. Could be an original and two backups. He says put them on two different kinds of backup. But I don't know if that's true so much anymore. It used to be, you know, you put them on a DVD and a hard drive, but nobody puts them on tape or DVD anymore. So I think we can leave out the two for most people. But the one is critical, and you've already said it, off-site. So you've got a backup, you've got the original on your computer, you've got the backup on an external drive, and then you've got a copy in the cloud. And it's mm-hmm. easy these days, especially with photos, to have a cloud copy. You don't even need, need a backup service because Google Photos, Amazon Prime, Flickr, SmugMug, there are so many places, Ophoto, there are many places like, uh, uh, not Ophoto, they're gone, but uh, um, Shutterfly will give you f- unlimited free storage because they're hoping you print stuff through them. So there are plenty of places he can back up his photos to without any cost okay. or at a very low cost. If it's just photos, that's an easy thing to do. I, I back up my photos to three or four different places, so that way I don't have to worry. I know I'm not going to lose any pictures. In fact, as I'm on right. the road, you know, I'm about to go on a vacation, uh, I'll take the pic- I'll keep. I'll keep the cards. That's my original. I'll back it up to my hard drive on the computer. I'll back up the computer to an external hard drive, which I'll store in, in separate luggage. So if my computer's in the carry-on. I'll check the second backup drive. And even then, I also put it on my iPad or phone so that Google Photos will, over time, upload it. So that way, even if I lost everything, there'd still be a copy on Google Photos. And that way, I don't lose anything. I you know, just can't possibly lose a photo. So you're on the right track. Get him an external drive. The idea of RAID 5 is you have extreme amount of storage because you're combining multiple disks to get right. more storage, and you have redundancy. RAID 5 means you can have four disks. If one of them dies, you just put in another one. Uh, these tend to be expensive because you've got to buy a special RAID 5 enclosure, and you want to get four disks or five disks or six disks. But that's not a bad way to go. A lot of photographers do, in fact, use RAID uh, particularly RAID 5 for their storage. Um, there are other higher levels of RAID even. I have uh, I have a Drobo, which is a, a kind of a RAID-like device that I plug in via the USB port. It's not super fast, but boy, I don't have to ever worry about losing data on that. If a drive dies, I can put mm-hmm. another one in. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, you can, if you, if you want, you could have a, just a, a single... See, there's 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 also RAID Zero, which is uh, my friend Alex Lindsay, who's also a photographer, calls Scary RAID. That's fast. It'd be faster, but uh, it it stripes the data between two different drives, which means it doubles your chance of drive failure. So, when you say RAID, make right. sure you do 
either RAID 1, which is two drives duplicating one another, or RAID 5, which is redundant drives spread across four or more drives. Um, mm-hmm. I got it. Okay, great. That is great advice. I, got, I have one other quick question. Sure. Is my, my wife's new iPhone, I just got the smallest uh, storage. And what I want to do is keep the number of photographs on that iPhone, um, you know, small, and then have all the pictures uploaded to iCloud. And when I delete, photos from the iphone they don't get deleted <laughs> from the iCloud. that's exactly how apple sets up icloud storage so if you turn on the icloud photo library it'll keep the originals on icloud forever and it'll put smaller thumbnails on your wife's phone saving storage is exactly why apple does that too because nobody could figure that out and and so the setting is in it's on the phone settings i do that right where i just tell it like it's in the space or something. Uh, it's probably in the photos setting. I'll have to look. It, yeah. If it's not in the photos setting, it'll be in the iCloud setting. But I think it's right. almost certainly in photos. Let me just see. Uh, yeah, just a switch that says iCloud photos. Automatically upload and safely store all your photos and videos in iCloud so you can browse, search, and share from any device. And then the checkbox below it, optimize phone storage, will will store a smaller version of it on the phone and keep as it says full resolution versions on iCloud. got it and then how do i get those onto my mac photos library uh it'll do it automatically just turn on the same okay. settings on your mac got it leo thanks so much my I pleasure love talking with you you always give me great ideas thank have, you so have much a great day take care leo laporte the tech guy Leo Laporte, the tech guy, last segment of the day. Let's get a bunch of callers in here. Let's have some fun. Starting with Charles in Virginia Beach. Hello, Charles. Hello, Leo. Thanks for hanging on, Charles. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. What can I do for you? Uh, you Help me me about a year ago, buy some stuff, and hopefully this year you can help me with some free stuff. Okay. Uh, Seems fair enough. Uh... So I, I'd used PGB a long time ago. It seemed like it's fairly easy to set up. I'm trying to get up and going on GPG, and I've looked at the site, and it's, it's um, nuts. <laughs> it right me. It's real confusing. So, yeah, this is uh, unfortunately why uh, email encryption is going to be so hard, and is not for mere mortals. But I can help you, and we can get it going. So the first thing to know, and I know you already know this, but let me explain for everybody else, Charles is what we're talking about is something was invented almost 20, I think more than 20 years ago, by a guy named Phil Zimmerman called a Pretty Good Privacy, or PGP. And it was a, at the time, modern way of doing two things. Encrypting email so that you could send email. You know, the problem with email is like, like writing a postcard. Your email goes through a bunch of servers. You know, let's say I send an email uh, to you, Charles, and, and you're on Gmail and I'm on Yahoo Mail. So I compose it. It goes to Yahoo Mail. Yahoo Mail then sends it out, and it may not go directly to Gmail. In fact, in many cases, most cases, it'll go to two, three, four intermediate servers. It'll hop its way. That's how the whole Internet is designed, is this little hippity-hop thing. The problem is everybody along the way, (laughs) from Yahoo to Gmail and everybody in between, can read what you wrote. It's a postcard. And unlike a postcard, which is well protected by federal law and mail carriers have an ethical uh, sense that they're not going to read your postcards, 
it's you know, there really aren't very many rules. People could read your stuff. They probably aren't, but they could. And since email is so important and the stuff that's in your email is so important, uh, you probably like some better security around it. There's another thing PGP can do besides encrypting it, and, and that is sign it. And I, that, that's mostly how I use it. I sign all my email, my outbound mail, with my private key. So PGP uses something called public key cryptography. There's two keys. There's a key you can give everybody, your public key. And there's a key you keep private, close to your chest. Only you have it. You, one hopes, have not only keep it, you know, on a secure spot, but you've signed it uh, with uh, with a strong passphrase, so no one can use it. Only you can send an email signed with the private key or encrypted with the private key. You only you have that capability. The recipient can verify that it was you by checking it against your public key. The public key says, yeah, Leo sent this. And furthermore, this email has not been changed. That's real To me, that's really important. You can't stick a line in or whatever. So this is, this is good stuff. Uh, signing your email saying it's, it's, it's secure. Encryption may be a little less valuable because in order to encrypt email, you have to send your public key out to the person you're going to, you know, that wants to send you encrypted email. You have to have their public key if you want to encrypt email to them. You have to make sure when you get a public key that really did come from them. And that's not an easy thing to do. Could be somebody posing as them. You know, I could get it. You could send me, somebody could send me an email later today, Charles, that says, oh, this is Charles from Virginia Beach. We just talked. Here's my public key so you can send me private mail. If I don't have some way to validate that, I could just assume that's you, and now I, I'm not sending it to you. I'm sending it to somebody else. So it doesn't matter if it's encrypted. So there's a, one of the big challenges with PGP is who do you trust? And there's a people actually have had key signing parties and things like that to kind of verify this is who they say they are. It's easy to generate a public and private key pair. The software will do it. Uh, PGP was bought and bought. I think Symantec owns it now, and it's a commercial uh tool and it costs money and it's not i mean nobody uses it anymore they use the open source version gpg which stands for gnu privacy guard it's free it's open source now the first step to implementing it is to go to a website and download the version of the tool that's right for your operating system if you're on windows gpg4 the number four win is the place to get it. I think that's probably org. GPG4win. And and they have what's makes what's nice about it is they have a tool that installs everything you need. It's just a simple thing. GPG4win. If you're on the Mac, it's gpgtools.org. Def, different program, uh, but still based on the same open source uh, open source stuff. And that actually is nice cuz it that one works with uh, Apple's Mail. Uh, but that's the next thing you need. So you're going to download the software, install it, generate a key, a key pair. The other thing you're going to do is upload your public key. You don't upload your private key. Remember, you keep that close to your vest. But you upload your public key to the key servers so people can look it up and say, oh, I want to send mail to Charles, or I got mail from Charles. Let me see if it's really him. And they can compare it against your public key. So you want to upload your public key. Then the next thing you need is a, a mail program that understands GPG. That's a little harder. Apple Mail does. I use a program on the Mac called MailMate. On Windows, there are a number of programs that'll do it. On iOS, there's one called Canary that'll do it. 
So you need to get a tool that understands it. Gmail, there's a Gmail extension that is kind of wonky that'll do it. But honestly, if you're using Gmail, you, you, if you want to use PGP or GPG, you need to use a mail client on a desktop or laptop or a mobile device, not a web-based email. I think if you go to GPG, are you are Windows or Mac, Charles? Uh, at home, uh, I live a Mac at home. Okay. So I was looking at it yesterday, but that that one link you talked about is kind of stuff I was, I was trying to look for, something that's easier. And yeah, I mean, the best way to do it is to get the suite and install it. The downside to this is they've recently started charging for the mail, the Apple Mail uh, client, which is annoying to me because it's open source software, but hey, they need to support it somehow, so that's fine. But if you don't want to use that, there are other mail programs like MailMate that you don't have to. Or if you're on Linux uh, or even on Macintosh, you can install GPG from Brew uh, Package Manager or your Package Manager, and if you install GPG from your Package Manager, it will not charge you. They, the GPG tools folks are charging because they want to pay for this nice package they provide. I got to say, if it's too complicated, if you read GPG tools and you say, huh, huh, this is the problem. This is why nobody uses GPG. I've been using GPG for 20 years. I've sent a handful of encrypted messages. I mostly use it for signing. There's another method to encrypt and sign that is more modern. It's certificate-based. It's called S-MIME. That's another one to look at. You will do the same thing, though. You'll get a, you have to go to a provider, buy a certificate. It'll have a public key. It'll have a private key. Man, this stuff, as I describe it, sounds so complicated. I don't see anybody doing it. I, re I recently read a paper from somebody who said, just don't think of email as private, period. And if you want private messaging, use Signal. It's a lot easier. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's the answer either, but uh, maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'll put a link at uh, techguylabs.com to this article about all the technical issues with, with GPG. And, well, one of, one of which is once you sign, you know, encrypt some email and send it to somebody, anytime in the future, if somebody figures out what the key is to that, anytime in the future, they can read it. It doesn't have what we call perfect forward secrecy, and that's considered a modern feature of any encryption system that's very important. All a bad guy has to do is collect all your encrypted emails and eventually if they can get your key, they get it they get it all. So this guy's advice and I probably should end this with this is use Signal Messenger, which is a strong encrypted modern system and don't rely ever on email for private messaging. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, that's it for the Tech Guy Show for today. Thank you so much for being here. And don't forget, TWIT, T-W-I-T. It stands for This Week at Tech, and you'll find it at twit.tv, including the podcasts for this show. We talk about Windows on Windows Weekly, Macintosh on MacBreak Weekly, iPads, iPhones, Apple Watches on iOS Today, Security and Security Now. I mean, I can go on and on and on. And, of course, the big show every Sunday afternoon, This Week in Tech. You'll find it all at twit.tv. And I'll be back next week with another great Tech Guys show. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time.